And I think that sometimes when we talk about entrepreneurship, we forget this idea of intrapreneurship. You know, there's, there's these chances you have where you don't have to go start your own thing. You can think about the role you have in the company you're at and ask yourself the question, well, how could I be an entrepreneur with the responsibility that I have in this position? And you could go and, and uh, you know, create a, a new program or a new way of doing things. And that experience is going to be what gives you the confidence and the network of people that trust you to go and start your own thing. Welcome to another episode of Young Entrepreneurs with the Green Roof Team. My name is Nelson Fernandez, your host, and today we're joined by the co-founder of Story, Connor. How are you doing today, Connor? I'm doing so good, Nelson. I'm so excited to be here. This is awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, before we begin diving in, where are you living right now? Where are you at? So I'm out in Salt Lake City, Utah, you know, home of the 2002 Olympics, the best snow on earth. Um, that's where I'm out at, man. Sweet. Yeah, yeah, I was actually in Salt Lake City a couple months ago. Beautiful place, beautiful mountains. I can just imagine like after working throughout the day or even going on the weekends, like just hiking and just getting a clear mind. Yeah, no, that's that is some of my favorite things to do. I mean, I, I feel like whenever you're trying to to build something meaningful, if you're doing that entrepreneurship grind, um, it's easy to get caught up in the day to day and get disconnected and to be able to escape to the mountains and like remember that there's you know something bigger going on than you is is awesome. So I love being around here. Sweet. Okay. So getting today's episode kicked off. Connor, could you give the audience a little like premise or a snipping on what they can expect for today? Yeah, so a couple things that I'm really excited to talk about is uh, I want to talk about, you know, story and, and what we built. And not because I think story is like something that necessarily your entire audience is going to care about, but because I think the journey of how we, we built story um, is going to have some valuable things that hopefully um, some of your audience finds interesting. Um, I want to talk a little bit about why, why networking was so important there, mentors and, and finding people that um, can help guide your journey and, and give you the right information to build the right thing is so important. I want to talk about how, you know, if you're just starting to be an entrepreneur, let's say you're like still in school or just fresh out of school and trying to figure out where you uh, want to take your career, how a personal brand is going to help you no matter what you do. Um, and then building an MVP, building that minimum viable product. How do you create an idea um, or, or sell an idea or sell an investor on, on an idea so that you can go and build something um, with your own idea out? And then just advice, you know, things from when I was in school, things that I wish someone would have told me um, so that after school, I could have kind of got a little bit more of a head start. Um, so that's what I'm kind of looking forward to talking about with you today, man. Sweet, I'm excited to hear more about it and I know the audience is also. So kicking it off, who is Connor? Who are you? <laughs> yeah, so I'm Connor Snyder. I'm the co-founder of Story, which is a marketing technology company. And our mission is to help people share their authentic message online. And we do that by um, uh, building, we build an app which basically gives AI driven 
prompts of content to create. You just say the topics you want to be known for or have influence in. And then we give you a hook, we give you an outline, we give you an outro of the video content to create. And you give us that raw content and we have an army of video editors who turn that into engaging social media content to help people build online relationships and, and share their message. Um, and when I'm not working on that, I'm hanging out with my dog, Goose. Um, it, my dog, Goose, is a German short hair pointer. He's a hunting dog, but I don't hunt. <laughs> so, uh, so he's a little bit, um, you know, he's having a bit of an identity crisis because I just play fetch with him all day. Um, and then I hang out with my girlfriend. Um, she's also into social media and ads. And so we nerd out on stuff all the time. Um, and then, you know, I'll grind, I'll grind that Call of Duty once in a while, too, if I got time. So that's what I'm doing. That's Connor, man. Sweet. So <clears throat> how did you, what was your journey like to get to story? Because I'm a big believer of not only seeing like the end result, but what was the journey? What was the process to get you there? Yeah. Um, sheesh, man, that's a big question. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because um, it, getting to where we are now has been the culmination of a bunch of little things. And, and it's funny to look back in time because you've got the advantage of hindsight. And so you can see, oh, doing this led to this. Um, and I, I look back and I think about just even being in high school and like just messing around on Facebook. <laughs> like I remember my parents had come into like the office where we had like our family computer and I would like spend like two hours goofing around on social media and they'd be like, get off of there. You, you need to go and study. You need to do your homework. You're never going to make money, you know, <laughs> messing around on social media. And I'm like, well, look at, look at us now, mom and dad. <laughs> right. And, and I think that that's one thing that, um, is important to know about yourself is like, what are the things you find interesting? What are those things that you kind of gravitate towards? Because um, whenever you're trying to build something, you've got to have enough passion and, and interest in it that when the, there's the crappy days, there's the days where you're like, I cannot do this for another second, that there's a deeper kind of motivation or interest that pulls you through it. And so I think early on, I've always loved tech. I love, love the, the, what the, the, the power of what social media could do. I've been fascinated by what a, a, a world changing thing it can be to have everyone in the same pace, both in really positive ways and also really negative ways. Um, and, and knowing those things and understanding and studying those things um, is a, totally a passion of mine. Um, and so I think it started there for me. Um, and, you know, another, another thing I think that I learned early on was grit. Um, and, I don't know if like, like grits, this like word that gets tossed out. And I think understanding it and defining it as this tenacity to work through even the shittiest parts of, of situations um, is, is an important thing to develop in ourselves because life is tough. <laughs> there, um, I can't remember the philosopher who said it, but he said that life's like pushing a boulder up a hill and it's just like you get up every day and push that boulder up and you got to have enough grit to do that. Um, and I learned grit um, when I was a Mormon missionary. So I, I was raised Mormon. I'm not Mormon, a practicing Mormon anymore, but I was raised Mormon. And I did the whole Mormon mission thing where, you know, you got your white shirt on, your black name tag, 
And uh, I was I was knocking doors as a Mormon missionary in California. And I don't know about you, Nelson, but but you probably are not like begging for the Mormon missionaries to come by your house and sit down with you, right? <laughs> like no one's like no one's waking up today. Like today's the day I'm just gonna have them over, you know. And and I was on the receiving end of that, you know. Like I was the guy that got the door slammed in my face and like told like, dude, leave me alone. <laughs> and and what that does is it teaches you this grit of like, whoa, like. Like I get told no a lot <laughs> and, and you also get to meet a lot of people. And, and even though it was like this spiritual proselyting thing I was doing, what it was, what it kind of taught me was salesmanship, <laughs> you know, like being able to like talk to somebody about um, something as, as personal as spirituality um, really made it easy to feel like I could just open my mouth and talk about anything with somebody. And so I think that learning grit, I'm definitely not saying everyone should go be a Mormon missionary. <laughs> you know, everyone's got their thing. But like, I think finding those situations that you can challenge you and, and put you in uncomfortable spots is another thing that I think is, I was able to learn early on to, to help us get to where we are now. Cool. I love hearing about the own side of it, having that grit, that challenge that yet you'll come in from that challenge can just allow you to grow in so many different ways yeah it's 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 kind of a unique thing you know um and so you know after uh you know after i was done being a missionary and i went back to school and and was studying um marketing and studying chinese i was uh i was talking to i was working at like on campus for the mba program at utah state and so I wasn't in the MBA program. It was just like an on-campus job. And I don't know if you've ever worked like on-campus jobs, but they rule. It's like flexible with your schedule. They're like, oh, you got class, go whatever, you know, like cut out early. It's like so low key. So I, uh, I was working on campus in the, in the MBA office. And again, social media nerd, tech nerd. I was like, you know, if you want MBA students, especially if you want them straight out of their undergrad, you should be like, running ads on the places where they spend their time, which was social media. And they'd never done social media ads before this. So they let me have a little budget and I started running ads on Facebook and I learned that, Hey, this actually works. <laughs> and, and I got to like dive into like the techie side of marketing. And it was also with my interest in social media. And so it was like, I kind of found this like opportunity to take the things I was interested in and apply them to the job I was in. And I think that sometimes when we talk about entrepreneurship, we forget this idea of intrapreneurship. You know, there's, there's these chances you have where you don't have to go start your own thing. You can think about the role you have in the company you're at and ask yourself the question, well, how could I be an entrepreneur with the responsibility that I have in this position? And you could go and, and, uh, you know, create a, a new program or a new way of doing things. And that experience is going to be what gives you the confidence and the network of people that trust you to go and start your own thing. And so I started running those ads, getting some results. And all of a sudden, we're, uh, we're getting new MBA applications. And then I decided, hey, I think I could get a full-time job in marketing from from doing this. And that's what I did. I went and joined a solar company and it was all because I just decided I'm going to be an entrepreneur first and, and, um, and learn a skill that's in line with my passion. And people saw that I could make a difference for them. Cool. Awesome. So when you began seeing undergrad students and new MBAs coming in, 
how did that make you feel? Did you feel that fulfillment out of it from seeing like, oh, these ads are working and they're converting people over? Yeah, I mean, it's the best, right? Like, like we did, I mean, I'm sure like when we were first doing stuff with the Green Roof team, when you guys first put a, put a prototype together, I'm sure you're like, holy shit, it works. This is amazing, <laughs> right? And, and uh, that's how I was, you know, when I started running the ads, because someone's like, here, you get $500 a month, which at the time, like, I, I've done ad spends as, that are 100 times more than $500 a month. But at the time, like $500, like, dude, this is my rent for the month. Like, like this is a lot of money. And and so to try, get that trust to run with that and then get results from it, um, yeah, it felt amazing. And that's, that's the kind of, uh, someone told me that confidence is the result of consistent action with like, with favorable results. And I think that that's something that you've got to uh, remember is you got to keep taking shots until you feel like you've developed a skill because that's where your confidence to be an entrepreneur is. And being an entrepreneur, is not, it's not all, you know, roses and Mai Tais on the beach. Oh, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> like, I know, like, coming from my own experience of being a long-distance runner, it's better to run a little every day and, or a medium every day than run, like, three, five times, a, three, four times a week. Because mm. that consistently builds up, and then you build a stronger base. You begin pulling in all these new tools. Mm -hmm. Next, you know you're unstoppable, and then you begin seeing the wins, all the small wins. It's beautiful. Mm. Yeah, no, that's cool. Very cool. So, thing about grid and consistency. How did mm -hmm. that help go into story? Yeah. So I uh, I had a, a coworker of mine that I was I was working in a mortgage company, and one day he was like, "Dude, we should go start our own thing." Like you've got technical know-how and he's like, I've got the network. So let's, let's go and, and, and start something. And one of the things I think is very important, especially when you're early in your career is we all want to be the people that like change the world. <laughs> and it's, you've got to recognize that to, to have a big impact, you have a team. Like I, I, I don't think there's many people on the list of like people that change the world that, did it completely 100% on their own. And so you've got to know, you've got to be self-aware enough to know what are your strengths and weaknesses. A strength of mine is, is I am a total nerd. Like if, if I will nerd out on whatever, like I, I just like, it doesn't matter if it's social media, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, um, learning Chinese, it doesn't matter if it's uh, Pokemon, like I'll nerd out, you know? And I, if you're not, if you are not um, aware of your weaknesses, where my weaknesses are, I don't like doing sales. Like I don't like being the guy that's pounding the phones. My buddy, he loves pounding the phones. He loves doing sales. He's not a nerd. He's just like, he's like allergic to it, right? So you've got to figure out who are the people you should partner with that can round out your weaknesses and can supplement and amplify your strengths. And so that's what we did is we started the thing and I started it with him because I knew he was the yin to my yang. And um story was started out as just being a marketing agency it was just like the culmination of all the skills that we had developed and we kind of were just consultants and i think that's a very common path for entrepreneurs especially in the creator world we live in now um you can build a personal brand around the things that you know and people will hire you to come help them solve problems just based off of your expertise and if you do enough consulting like that eventually you start to see a common enough problem that you can build a product around it. And then that product can then be something you go and, and, and sell 
on its own, independent of just your own name. Sweet. And just like taking a step back, I like the way that you're describing yourself and your co-founder. It makes me think about when you build a team, especially a startup, you have the visionary, hustle, hustler, and the hacker. Have you heard about that before? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I, uh, my partner said I was the visionary. So I like, you know, I like, we all love to say we're the visionaries. I'm going to cite him to say I'm the visionary. Um, but you're right. Like you've got to have the right team put together of what, what is, what is everyone on your team going to, going to kind of the, the role they're going to play. Um, I think that that model you're talking about, I, I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, is that how you assembled your team? Were you kind of like looking for people to fill those hats? Actually, no. The way that we met, went about our end was since we had two and a half years of working together as a team, mm-hmm. it was more about I wanted to pick out people from there that I thought that would be a good fit for the business, mainly mm-hmm. from a cultural standpoint, from a trust slide, because mm-hmm. everyone that was with us, like um, we were so like versatile, I would call it that we could wear different hats. But then come down to as um, people have day jobs and they're still in school, how can they handle the extra responsibility and do they have that trust level to be, be able to be accountable? And mm-hmm. then we kind of just meshed along and came across like, oh, this person's good more on the sales side. This person's better at the marketing side. This person can help build the roadmap. Mm-hmm. So we did a little bit backwards, both focusing more on trust and then building it that way. No, that's cool. I mean, it, it, it all it all comes together backwards more often than people like to admit. Like, it's so easy to be like, here's the theory of how it should come together. And then the mess of it actually coming together is uh, not always uh, as pretty, right? Um, but yeah, I, I, I think for us, um, as we kind of focused on building a team, uh, we kind of looked to the like the Netflix kind of model. And their model was like, core values first you hire to core values and you fire to core values and so we kind of like worked with our partner and like to find what are our core values um the most important of which for us was candid communication um so i don't know if like you're like a brene brown fan or not i love brene brown i think she's awesome and her whole thing is authenticity um in the workplace and Candid communication is is trying to like epitomize that. It, it it basically is is the meaning is you say what's on your mind and trust others to to say what's on their mind and expect that of each other. And we've tried to build a culture in our team where it, um, it's not uh, the CEO up top being the dictator and what he says is the highway. We we've kind of developed this language of IVOV individual point of view. Um, and we and we go into a room. It's like look. Here's my iPod, my individual point of view. I reserve the right to change my mind, given more data, but but this is how I feel at the moment based off the information I have. And, and when we communicate this way, very intentionally and with this expectation of candor, what happens is we actually get feedback back from the rest of our team. Like the shy person on our team feels comfortable criticizing the boss's idea because we from the top down really emphasize that there's no idea that can't be challenged. Um, and that's one of our core values, right? And, and we try to like make them more than just like vinyl stickers on a wall or like something that's on like a sheet when someone starts for their first day at Story, you know? We talk about them all the time because it, the, the values are what helps us accomplish our, our end mission. Cool. Yeah, I love hearing about the candid communication, um, having that not only top-down process, but that bottom-up, just 
be able to help match the team all together. Um, what other core values do you guys have? Yeah. Uh, so another core value of ours is craftsmanship, right? Like that, it, that when you are responsible to build something that you care about your craft, that you're always looking to improve your craft, that you value quality. Um, and at the same time, we have another, we have another um, core value that's drive that you, you, um, you value action over inaction that you, that you want to move quickly. And, and it, with that balance of craftsmanship and drive, the hope is, is that we move quickly to build quality things, right? Um, we also respect, that's an important one, especially with candid communication, because candid communication isn't me saying, hey, Nelson, you're a shithead. Like, that's not candid, right? That's just being an asshole. <laughs> so you've got to have, you've got to have candid communication because the respect value of we value our team members, we value the insights that other people have, that also has to be part of the equation. And so we hire to these things and we fire to these things. If, if someone is, is not candid, if someone is not respectful, if someone doesn't value craftsmanship, if someone doesn't have drive, then they're not part of the culture that we value. And, and we shout out and recognize our teammates for these things because they're the things that we value in ourselves and aspire to in ourselves. Sweet. So for someone just like starting a new business or getting to the idea phase, do you have any advice for them on how they can craft and determine what their team's core values are? Yeah, so I think one thing to think about with core values is core values isn't necessarily the things you want to be, it's the things you are. And that doesn't like, so one example, one of our core values is not punctuality. I'm not punctual, we're not very punctual as a team. It's just not a core value. It's just not, you know, we're, we're, we're gonna do our best, but it's just, it's not a core value. And so you've got to recognize what are the things that we aren't because you can't say, you can't go to your team and be like, there's an expectation here that everyone has drive. When if your culture isn't everyone to have drive, then, then you can't have an expectation of each other. Um, it doesn't mean you're perfect in those things. Um, you want to aspire to them and, and you want to encourage each other to have them, but you also can't fake them. You, they can't be 100% aspirational. Otherwise, when you tell people that's your culture, they're going to be like, no, that's not your culture. That's your sticker on the wall. No one here does that. Um, you've got, it's got to, so I would say if you're trying to identify those in yourself and your team, even if you're a team of two, you can go right down your culture and be like, you know what? We are innovative. We are creative. And, and you could go and write those things down and define them as you both see them. And then when you're bringing more people together on your team, you can say like, look, me and, you know, Nelson and Connor, we really value creativity and we think you value creativity too. And that's why we want you on the team. And, and it can kind of be this filter of who's the right fit and who's not, you know? Sweet. I like the way you, that you put it in. It's who you are and not who you want to be. And it's not a sticker on the wall. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen stickers on the wall and people are like, oh yeah, that's just there. It's a placeholder. It fills space. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's funny. Like, it's like everyone read the book about like core values and then like everyone like put up the sticker and then like didn't talk about it anymore, you know? And that's one of those things where I just feel like um, they ha we, we have to live and breathe them. Otherwise they don't matter. Cool. Okay. So diving more into something you mentioned earlier about your co-founder co having a network. Mm -hmm. can, uh, can you talk a bit more about like what the network was, how it helped you, different ways you leveraged it, and maybe people involved in what skills they brought in? Yeah. So some people have bigger networks than others. 
And this is a function of a whole bunch of things. It can be a function of individual personality. It can be a, a function of where someone came from, what their family's socioeconomic class was. Like people just have different networks. And the reasons why are less important in terms of being an entrepreneur than, um, than that they are just exist. And so as an entrepreneur, what you have to look at is, okay, who has the network and how can I make them part of the team? Who has the right core values and also the network so that we can like accomplish this shared mission together. And his family was from a family of very successful restaurateurs. He'd lived in like four or five different States. He was like the guy that was just like the life of the party. He's the guy that will go talk to anybody and start telling him stories. And he leaves and he's like buddies with like every single person that was at the party. Like, it's just like, that's his vibe. Um, and I'm not that way. Like I'd rather just have like one long conversation with somebody in the corner of the room. And, and so he's, he just has that personality and he has a family of people with that personality who also had this like entrepreneurial success. And so with him, as I talked to him and understood more about his personality and who he knew and what we could do, you know, it just, it all kind of fell into place. And, and our first client after we like formally filed our paperwork to be a business was just some random lawyer he knew from his hometown. It was just like a, you know, random connection. So it, it's, it's, um, yeah, it, it, the network piece is, is if you don't have a network and you're like, I don't know how to go build a network. Well then don't go find someone that does, that already has one. Like it, and that's way easier said than done. And you're going to have to do networking yourself, <laughs> which can be uncomfortable, but you got to figure out how to do that. So if someone was looking to build their network, mainly perhaps a student, you have any advice on how they would go about it? No one's going to like this advice, but I'm going to I'm going to tell it to you straight. So I'm going to go back to my Mormon missionary days, and and um, when you're a Mormon missionary, it's like the military. Like you wake up at six thirty every morning, you go to bed at ten thirty every night. You have all of these like measured goals that you give yourself to try and stay productive during the day. Because when you're getting that many no's, you've got to have like a goal. And one of the goals that we set. Um, in our like group was we wanted to have 10 open your mouths was the me what we called them every day. And that meant you needed to go talk to 10 people every day. Oh man, it, it was the worst because it was just like, you know, I'm, I'm going up and I'm like, you would have this scenario and you've made, people have been on the other side of the sidewalk probably from this. So I'm just going to like share the inside of what it's like. Like I'm walking down the sidewalk and I see someone walking and they see me and I see them and they're like, oh no, please don't talk to me. And they pull out their phone or they like, like, like start to look busy. And then we're just walking them and the gap's closing and I'm like, honey, how is it going? And they're just like, oh no, they're talking to me. <laughs> and then I feel uncomfortable because I know it's them. They're feeling uncomfortable, but you push through it. And, and what you learn is that the world is a very big place. And sometimes the stories we tell ourselves about how other people are going to perceive us of their interest in what we're doing um, is zero and it's not. And, and you have to, even though it's uncomfortable, you have to learn to open your mouth. You got to learn to talk to the people around you in front of you. If, if you are really clear on what you want to do and what you care about and you just talk about it, the people that have the same values or have the same, shared, uh, the same interests are going to let you know about it. And it, you don't necessarily have to go, do something crazy. You just need to go, oh, and open your mouth to the person next to you on the bus 
open up to the, like talk to the person that's at Starbucks next to you. And it can feel intimidating, especially in a world that's less and less social. Um, and, and, but, but that is where you start to build a network. And as you do that, you're going to build the entrepreneurial skills you need to actually go sell your product and talk about your product after you're, you're really rocking and rolling. But it starts with learning how to just open your mouth, even when it feels a little bit uncomfortable. Cool. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more. Like just being able to have conversations with people. I believe like people are innately just want to see connections, be able to mm -hmm. relate to one another. So mm -hmm. if you hear something or see something, it's like, oh, I'm kind of like gravitating to that. And I want to know more. I want to be there. It's kind of like when there's a conference, say there's a conference on solar energy. People interested in solar energy, they're going to go there. Someone interested in maybe like nuclear um, or maybe like finance, maybe they won't be too enticed to it, but like, if you go there and interest in solar, you'll meet tons of people mm -hmm. just because it's that gravity want to chill in. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You just got to learn how to talk to, to talk to them, you know, and, and it's a lot, it's one of those things you can practice. It's a muscle. And the more you do it, the, the easier it's going to get. Do you think another great way on networking would be perhaps LinkedIn or online websites? Oh, dude. Yeah. I, that's my bread and butter, man. Yeah. I mean, I, you've got to, you definitely need to learn how to network on those places. So, um, social media is like, um, it, it, it's a place where everybody is and you, everyone's so accessible there. People that you normally could never get a foot in the door with, you absolutely can if you're willing to just message them or talk to them. And, and one of the strategies that I recommend to people is if you want to like get your foot in the door with, a mentor, someone that can really guide you and, and, and give you their experience and apply it, go and record a video about something you've seen in a YouTube video of theirs or a lecture of theirs, post it and tag them. And I'll, like, there's this funny thing where, where on the internet, it's kind of, it's an attention economy, right? It's an attention economy because the way everyone makes money is who gets the most attention <laughs> for better or for worse, right? And so what you can really do is if you just give someone attention for free, it's like this, it's like literally handing them this like internet money. It's like, Hey, here's me making you look good. Here's me getting you some engagement and some followers. And it doesn't take a lot where if I just make a video or make or post a picture and make Nelson look good, the chance of you Nelson going and sharing that on your Instagram stories or resharing that on LinkedIn is pretty high. Right. And so there, that's how you can get this attention from people that maybe normally would be too busy to give it to you. And you just have to make them look good. And, and they in turn will, will want to make you look good and help you skill up and level up. Um, it's not manipulative. It's just the way it works. <laughs> I think that's like the definition of networking. What can you give someone else? Totally. Absolutely. And, and I think that, Matt, that's such a good definition. Yeah. You really like, so succinct. It really is. What can you give someone else? And if you approach it from that perspective of like, how can I help you? Like everything else falls into place. So think about that impact side on what can you give? Think about story. Can you talk maybe a bit about like what your guys' impact is, what your goal and like big vision is? Focus yeah. On? So our whole thing is how do we help people share their authentic message? And, you know, there's a wide range of messages we have. We have some people that are influencers, they're YouTubers. They want to like, 
share and entertain. That's their message, right? We've got other people that are like the heads of foundations. So there's a foundation work with called United Angels Foundation, um, and they help needs with uh, children with special needs like Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, um, and their parents. And and we help them share their message, which is about building community and 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 shared challenges and shared successes and victory and 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 so really everyone's message is different. And for us, success looks like, can we be a tool to help them share that message and amplify it? Like, we just want to be a really good megaphone, you know, like we just want to be that thing that someone can like shout into and we can authentically capture that thing they're trying to share. Um, and so, you know, long-term what we want to do is we want to double down on our technology. We want to create an app that, that not only gives people great ideas of what to create, but gives them great tools to collaborate with others that helps them create really great content that captures the, what's in their head and not just maybe like getting tongue, like twisted in their tongue. Um, and then we will have an army of video editors that go and, and polish that up. And so we want to really amplify some of those agency services where we customize that content and distribute that content so that creators can focus on their craft and, and being an expert and not necessarily necessarily being a social media expert. We don't want, we don't want to, it's like, you know, does a doctor need to be a really good social media doctor in order to know what they're talking about? Usually those are opposite, right? Like, like they're like, you know, the snake oil guys, we want to be able to make it. So anyone that's an, a true expert um, has all of the capabilities to, to, to be an influencer. Um, if that's the route they want to go down without having to learn all the ins and outs of, of navigating the platforms. I love the idea, that idea of empowering others to be their best version of themselves. Yeah. I mean, like, if you asked me what success looked like on a personal level, not just like for like story in and of itself, um, you know, I think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you've got, you know, food and shelter and community and friendship. And the part that everyone likes to leave off is the very tip of the triangle, which is self-actualization. And for me, it's not just about myself, but like everyone that's part of our team, like it, whether you're a client of ours or, or working in the business, like the goal, the hope is that story can be this vehicle to take your career further, to take your audience and your message further, because that's what all of us are really trying to do, right? And and I think we're really lucky um, because our success has enabled us to be really focused on that level of the hierarchy of needs versus just, you know, food and shelter, um, which is kind of where we all kind of start out in the entrepreneurial world. Um, but, but, you know, that's, that's what really success looks like, I think. Cool. Yeah. And I love how you brought up Maslow also. That's something I go back to a lot. Just thinking about, Oh, this is a level I'm at. Are the levels below? Like, are they working well? Do I have a strong foundation? And then the next step of how do I move forward? How do I go to the next level? Mm-hmm. That continues right. to improve the mindset. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And 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 it's it's a journey, man. It's a totally a journey. Cool. So on the journey, think about more product development. How um can you talk a bit about like maybe different design tools you guys use to be able to build that? Mm-hmm. Um like because when I think about coding and building apps, I'm thinking about like, oh, I need like HTML, the front end, back end, and Honestly, like all that goes through my head. I'm not the coding guy this us. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. So um, I'm not a developer, but I've, part of my jobs have been being a product manager. And, and you work with engineers and help coordinate their work and understand the scope of what you're building. And 
one of the things that I think a lot of entrepreneurs do early on when they, especially tech entrepreneurs that want to build tech is they, 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 they think tech is a replacement for like a product. It's like, I'll just build an app and the app isn't the product. Like you've got to remember, like the app has to do something. <laughs> and so what you've got to do, I think, is get really clear on what is the job to be done. It's a good product development framework of it, jobs to be done. What is the job to be done? And, you know, if, if, if I'm, um, you know, an influencer, for example, that's bringing on story, story's job to be done is we need to get them an authentic feeling video posted to their social media channel. That's the job to be done. And we've got to work backwards from there on the process. And before we ever built an app, we built a rigid process that was being done manually because you cannot go and automate a process that does not exist. Technology automates a process, right? And, and whether that process is conceptualizing something like with OpenAI and some of their cool chat GPT stuff that's just come out, like that is ultimately rooted in the process, right? And it's a complex process, but you've got to figure out what that process is before you can ever go write a lot of code to automate it. And so as an entrepreneur, your job's got to start with what is that process we are automating? And when you understand that, then you can say, okay, what's the MVP that we need to do? Because if the MVP for story was how do we get content from a user to go edit then so that we can go and post it, then the MVP was okay, we need an app that lets us let people upload videos. And so that's what we built first. Here's a way to upload videos. And then it was, oh, they need an idea of what to make in the video. Okay, here's a prompt of what you can create. Oh, they need to talk to their account manager. Here's a way to chat with us. And so you just incrementally build on these features, but, but always focused at the end of what is the primary job that someone's trying to accomplish. Connor, you just hit it right on the head. Um, and I think that's like the most important part about product development design thinking is just breaking it down, seeing what you want come out of it at the lowest level, hit it, and then be like, okay, we're here. How do we go next? And what is next? And just building upon it over and over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got to You got to You got to do the whole keep it simple, stupid, right? Like it's, we like to love to over complicate it. And the problem with me, and I know a lot of other entrepreneurs, it's like, we want to live in the vision world. It's like, oh my God, it's going to be so sick. We've got this feature and that feature. And then when someone has this, like, it's going to freaking break the world. The app store is going to break because everyone's going to be downloading this shit. Like, we just like dream up this giant vision. And then you go to the developer and the developer is just like looking at you, like just glazed over eyes. Like, so like, do you want to start with the login screen? And like, what's the flow going to be for like the email verification? And then you're, you know, you're just like, dude, this is so in the weeds, but you've got to get in the weeds. And, and the reality is, is there are so many things, advantages to be gained by doing the weeds more effectively than everybody else. And so if you spend time there and, 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 and learn those things in and out, you're going to be able to move a lot faster than if you just kind of like turned them over to somebody else completely and just crossed your fingers that they're going to get it right. Yeah. And I can actually give you an example of like being in the weeds, like one of the design processes we have for taking a wind turbine blade design in one software and getting it um, 3D printed out. It usually takes like, I think like at least an hour and a half for me, like two hours usually to be able to do the process. And Connor, I'm like, when we had our last cohort of interns come in, I'm like, hey guys, this is a process. It's like 30 pages, a lot of pictures be granted. Um, but they all like looked at me, they're like, okay, cool, we got this. 
after a week, uh, one intern came to me. He's like, Nelson, I got an idea. I'm like, okay, cool. What's your idea? And he's like, if you like hit this button to have this button, to have taken 90 minutes to do it, you can make it five if you add a couple lines of code. Yeah, so you turn something from a two-hour long process down to five minutes and had no defects at all. But that's only yeah. possible by having that all that big processes go into it. Totally. It's so funny because like there's a reason why um you know i know elon's in the news very controversial at this point so this isn't about elon this is about spacex and tesla specifically one of the reasons that they like seem to innovate like spacex let's just use them as the example because i think there's cleaner comparisons if you look at other companies that are trying to do like satellite launches and similar things they seem to be taking a lot longer than spacex part of that's because spacex got started earlier the other part of it is spacex is willing to go blow up more rockets right? Like, like they, they launch more stuff. And I think the principle there is you, you learn lessons when you are actually putting stuff out and building a process and iterating versus endless hypothesizing. And it's very easy as an entrepreneur to get stuck in that daydream world, but you built out the process with the interns, they started working on it and you weren't going to figure out that efficiency gain until you actually were in the weeds of building out the processes, right? And so it's like you've got to you've got to start working and gaining momentum before you can even find the places where you can gain those efficiency pieces and get those get those iterative improvements. And that's where it, it all is in product development. You like you learn by playing the game, not by thinking about the game. Yeah, and like just going to SpaceX about like actually doing it. Like you can't really simulate it. Oh, the actual launch day. Like there's so many things going on. Like you can only learn from doing it. Now, granted, it costs quite a bit to go through that entire process of building a spaceship and launch and fail. But... <laughs> no, dude, you just take a. You take what you do is you take a soda bottle and uh, you just put some Mentos in there. And, uh, no, I totally. You got to You got to have an MVP. Like ultimately, it's and and that's why an MVP is so important, right? It's like. You can't afford, you, it, not all of us are billionaires that could just say, let's go like light up a bunch of rockets to blow up. So like, we got to get really clear. What's the job we're trying to accomplish and focus those MVPs, those minimum viable products, viability being defined as the minimum amount of thing we need to build in order to accomplish the job that needs to be done. And if you get really clear on that, well, then you're going to end up being able to iterate a lot more efficiently versus build the full stack and then and then iterate because you're going to have little pieces of everything that needs to be iterated on you know so if you're iterating on a budget if we don't got bezos you know bezos wallet money then then what we got to do is we've got to say okay what is the the smallest thing we can build so we can micro iterate on that on that little piece and then focus on building the next thing yep yep um, the thing about like prototyping, do you have any like favorite like methods for prototyping, like sketching it out, storyboards? Yeah, so I'm a visual guy. Um, and so I love doing flowcharts and UX designs. So Figma, great tool. They've got a free subscription that you can use. Diagrams.net is another free flowchart tool, just connects to a Google Drive account and, it, and you can do flowcharts in there. And then I love Zapier and make.com, make.com especially. And, and those are great no-code tools where if you've got data in a Google Sheet and you need it to populate somewhere else or send you a push notification or do some sort of action, you can kind of connect a bunch of, of 
of, of different tools and software together so that you can kind of automate things that normally you'd have to rely on a developer on, where instead of them going and building a database stored in the cloud somewhere, you can just make your database a Google sheet, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and let that kind of be your backend for whatever kind of experience you're trying to build. And so I think make.com, Zapier, if this, then that, which is the budget version of Zapier and make.com, um, IFTT, um, and then, uh, and then Figma for sure, diagrams.net for sure. Those are all really great low code, no code free tools. Sweet. And for everyone listening, we'll have that in the episode's description. So if you want a quick link to those, just check out the description. Cool. So Connor, as we begin coming towards uh, GA's episode, there's one area I didn't want to talk about. Do you have any advice for university students out there right now listening? Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing is um, there's always a ton of pressure to figure out what you want to do and, and like get rocking at it and take a deep breath. Like, I mean, after I was done with school, I dicked around and traveled and tried a bunch of things. And I think that was the right move. Like you got to kind of taste a lot. So you know really what you want. And some people figure that out early. Like some people are like, they're in their freshman year and they're like, I'm going to go and like do this thing. And that's awesome. And if you're not that person, but you want to be, don't, don't be feel guilty about that. Just embrace the fact that you're in this taste the world phase and, and let that be refining experiences for you on getting really clear what you want. And then once you are clear what you want, I would write it down, like write it down, put it on a document and look at it regularly. Like in the business world, we have our, what we want to do as a group, our mission put down on paper and we talk about it every quarter and and that's what our quarterly planning is it's about getting reoriented on what our purpose is and when it's not work and it's personal or if you're a team of one it's harder to hold yourself accountable to doing that but i think finding some way to like regularly revisit what your motivation is and what your why is is a powerful way to for you to like kind of check in with yourself about where you want to go so i would say give yourself some breathing room to figure out what you want and then once you figure out what you want come back to that regularly so that you can make sure you're orienting the actions you're taking day to day around it. If there is something that you could have changed in your time during university, what would it have been? Oof, that's a great question. Um, if I could change something, I think what I would have do is I probably would spend um, a lot more time networking. <laughs> like I think I would have gone to more activities, more events, um, participated in more group stuff. Like. I think that the that's one thing I didn't do a whole lot of. I think I kind of like stuck within my major and stuck within like my circle of friends. And um, like, well, that was fun and awesome. Now I just feel like um, some of those people that I met have been invaluable connections for like goals and shared things that we want to do. And I wish that was like a bigger, a bigger circle for me. So that's one thing I think I would have done differently. Cool, sweet. Yeah, definitely I know like during my time, I tried my best get out there and meet new people. Uh, definitely did that much more in like, I would say my first two years and then the last two years kind of like stuck as a small group. Um, mm -hmm. So got best of those worlds, but meeting people, always a good time. Always a good time. <laughs> okay. So coming towards the end of today's episode, Connor, do you have any final words for the audience or a summary on what we talked about? Um, I think the only thing I'd say is just, you know, keep at it. Um, if, if you're interested in learning more about story, story.co with two Y's, S-T-O-R-Y-Y.co. 
Um, and we also give a free video edit for any of our new people. So if you're wanting to be a creator or like wanting to build that personal brand or wanting to shout out a thank you to a professor so they give you a good grade, go, go ahead and like jump on our app, record a video and, and we'll make something cool and custom for you. But uh, other than that, no, I, uh, I just appreciate you having me on Nelson and being able to spend some time chatting with you. Sweet. Thank you again for coming on the show. I enjoyed our conversation. I always love talking about entrepreneurship and topics that I know about, but then hearing it from others, like how you grow up, like Maso, um, needs of hierarchy, hierarchy of needs, um, talking about grid, talking about motivation, that interesting, intrinsic side of it all. I can talk about that all day long. Cool. <laughs> Dude, well, I, I, me too. I'm glad we could do it today. Okay. So for everyone listening here today, um, definitely take a look in the description, find links to story, to different tools online. And folks, remember, just stay sustainable.